we, we've been in the, Rev, the, in the book of Revelation for a couple of weeks now. And I want to go back and do a little bit of just a couple of points to bring out on the book of Revelation. Just some, some small things. But as the biblical literacy class, we are the class that makes people literate in the Bible. Even the small things matter, I think. For example, one of my biggest pet peeves is that, have you ever heard someone call it the book of Revelations? Have you heard that? Well, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. And, and don't give them a, too hard of a time, but that is incorrect. If you look at the back of your Bible, you can clearly see that it is only one revelation. Now, there is a lot to the revelation, and we're going to learn about that, but there's only one revelation. It reminds me of Champion Forest Baptist Church. Do you ever hear someone throw an S on the end of champions? They call it Champions Forest Baptist Church. That's because this is the Champions area. That makes perfect sense. But you know what? There's no S on the end of Champions Forest. So I'm teaching you all kinds of things today. You cannot leave today and say, I didn't learn anything. At least there's a few things that I can put down that, that I'm aware of. Okay. So another part of Revelation, I thought it would be apropos if I would just reveal a few things about me. Because if I were sitting in your seat, I would be thinking, who is this guy and, and why am I listening to him? What, what, what happened here? At least give you some background of, of who I am. So this is me at a very young age. I was born and raised in a Southern Baptist church up in Dallas. That's me with my bow tie, kind of an homage to Mark Lanier. And um, with, I was born in the church. My parents were Southern Baptist or are, and... Uh, I became a student of God's word. I, I was the quiet kid who didn't get into trouble. I was just taking it all in. I wanted to learn and I wanted to grow. I wanted to find out more about God. I wanted to be literate in the Bible. That's why I love this class so much. Another little history, when I was in middle school, that's me in the orange, um, I started making movies with my friends. We had the little camcorder that connected into the beta deck, you know, and you had to drag it around. Who is tracking with me? Yes. So my friends and I, we would run that wagon with the deck and the camera all over our neighborhood making all these crazy movies. That's got me interested in, in video and in camera. Uh, later on, I went on to Baylor communication degree. When I went to seminary for my MDiv, I started working at a church in Dallas, small church of 200. I was doing their youth ministry. I was doing their adult education ministry. And, and just like David Fleming, I was a minister of music for nine months, not at the same church, but David Fleming and I share that little bit of history. Somewhere in our past for nine months, each of us were, was a minister of music. Well, I was enjoying the media so much. And you know, this is in the early mid nineties when the only person doing video in a church was uncle Joe, you know, I was like, I got a camera, I could help out. And they were kind of doing it half baked. And so I said, you know what, this could be better. So I developed a media ministry before media was ever a ministry in a church. And a church in Atlanta called me and said, hey, would you come and do our live TV broadcast? I had never done live TV broadcast, but that sounded great. So I loaded up my family, my wife, and she and I, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And for two and a half years, I was the media minister and broadcast ministry at Champion Forest Baptist Church. And the last thing I did before I left, you can see those two video screens. They didn't have any kind of video re-imaging in the church. That was the last thing I did before I left. I was trying to get them to do it because I love to shoot video and to reinforce what was being taught in the sermon 
With the music, that's great too. Put the words up, get people out of the hymnal, let them look up. I mean, that's why I loved media ministry because I wanted to reinforce what was going on. And that's where my heart and passion was. And so they finally came around. But at that time, I was talking to Champion Forest, who they already had screens. In fact, it was in this room that I first came in 2000, well, uh, November of 2000 to Champion Forest. They just broke ground on the new worship center. And uh, we were in this room for the next year and a half or so. And that's me in the picture right back behind that sound booth, hooking up stuff to get ready for the service that particular Sunday. So that's kind of been me. I did leave Champion Force for two and a half years as God began calling me out of media into more ministry. And I was an associate pastor at a church in uh, East Houston. And when Champion Force started their TV broadcast, I came back having that experience and the history here, uh, came back and started doing their live TV, not live, but their TV broadcast here at Champion Forest. I am married. Um, I have a wife. Hardly anyone knows that because no one ever sees me with her. I'm always busy doing other stuff. She's taking care of our other two kids. It's a picture of our kids on our cruise. The one in the middle, that's not one of my kids, but I would adopt Mickey Mouse in a heartbeat if I thought that I could. So moving on to the context Bible here in the book of Revelation, I wanted to do just a little bit of review um, uh, on the book of Revelation. Remember, Mark was talking about the seven churches, and I had the privilege to be with Stephen Trammell and a couple of other people. About six summers ago, we went to Turkey on a mission trip, and we went and The mission trip was in Ankara, which is the capital of Turkey. But as we ended, Brian Dixon, who goes to church here, he's back from the mission field now. He took us to uh, Ephesus. In fact, in that little minivan, we and the the, the team all loaded up and we went all over Turkey. And uh, there we are in Ephesus uh, walking around. I was usually behind the camera. There's a picture of me with the camera as we sat there in the amphitheater where Paul And others uh, walked and talked and taught about the things of God, doing his own biblical literacy class. That's the amphitheater looking down at toward the stage, as it were, and the library, which is uh, famous. So another homage to Mark Lanier, his theological library, this library, not so theological, but a library all the same. All right. So let's moving on as we look back, we've looked at already Revelation 1 through 3, and what Mark said is that the, the root of Revelation is reveal. It is revealing to us the truth about God, how he integrates history, how he is involved in history, and most importantly, how the end is going to come, because Revelation is certainly the study of the end things, the apocalypse. Um, I wanted to look, if you can switch over to the Elmo, I was going to, I've never taught like this before, but I've got a yellow highlighter and I thought if Mark can do this, I can do this. Uh, so I printed up a couple of scriptures just talking about God's word in revelation, revealing his word. It's not something that he saved to the end. God reveals himself from the very beginning with Abraham and began a relationship with Abraham, called him out of the people that he was living with, the, the land of the Urs, and began to establish and made a covenant with him and promised him, I will begin to reveal to you who I am for the first real time in history, other than creation revealing him in a more intimate and real way, began to reveal to him and said, I'm going to build a whole nation 
that will be my nation, that I will possess them, I will be their king, and through them, I will reveal myself to the rest of the world. Even today, we are continuing to learn about who God is by the way that he interfaced with the nation of Israel. So in Deuteronomy 29, 29, he talks about the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we that we may do all the words that are in this law. That is God's plan from the very beginning, that he will reveal himself. And as he does, he expects his covenant people to respond. I always say when you read God's word, it should end in a verb. There should be action to what you're reading. So as you read in your daily quiet time, maybe, or, or at the church service or in, in your life group today, as you read God's word, you should be constantly thinking, no matter who the teacher is, teachers are going to come and go. Their teaching styles are going to be good and bad. But you are the student and you have the responsibility to hear what's being said as you read God's word and, and, and understand a deeper level of understanding and say, God, what does that mean to me? How can I take action on that? That's exactly what it says in Deuteronomy. It'll be for their children, meaning that we are to pass on a legacy of what we learn. Don't keep it a secret. God is the revealer of secrets. We want to reveal his secrets to those who come after us and that we may do all the words of the law. Now in Daniel, it says that the king answered Daniel and said, after he was convinced, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery, a dream that the king had. Daniel was in the right place at the right time by chance. No, by the inner workings of God to bring him to that place, to be able to reveal to the king and show him again through the nation of Israel, revealing who God is and in this case, made a believer out of the king. Now, moving on to the New Testament, we see Romans 1.17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is good news to everyone who has ever been born on this earth. To the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But it goes on, and there's another side to God's revelation. For the wrath of God is also revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. There is a revelation both to the godly and to the ungodly. The ungodly reveal the wrath of God. That's not for us to judge, right? We're, we're not to judge that. We're not to say who's, who's who, except there is a little bit of fruit inspection that we have to do. God says we will know Christians, fellow believers, by their fruit. So Christians do have a, a part of judging. There, there is some judging. It's not, if anyone says Christians are never supposed to judge, that's not true. Because God said, by their fruit, you will know them. You should be able to recognize your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should be acting in such a way that would reveal our lives to others, whether they're godly or not, to say, this is who I am. 
David Fleming read about the martyr or the family that, were, that was killed because they said, we're not going to back down by our life and by our statement to the faith. We are going to reveal in our lives that we are God's and let nobody, let nobody put us under. Let no one separate us from the love of God. Let no one think of us as something other than what we claim by the faith that God provided to us and made real in our lives. We want everyone to know. And uh, that was such a a touching touching testimony. So we can go back to uh, the PowerPoint as we see that God reveals. And we're right to the point in Revelation 6 and 7 where the scroll comes up. The scroll that John, before he found out who was worthy to open the scroll, he was a little concerned, remember? What did he do? He wept bitterly because I was thinking about John as somebody who had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He was in the inner circle of revelation. You know, Jesus was constantly teaching the crowds, but then he would take his disciples, his small group, his life group, his connection group, see my point? Jesus took his connection group and he got with him and said, hey, let's take this a little deeper. This is what I'm trying to, to accomplish. This is what I'm trying to reveal. And I need you guys to understand it. And then he said, go out and do it. He gave them assignments, right? Remember the 70 that went out two by two? Not like the animals two by two into the ark, but he sent out the 70 to go out and minister. And when they all came back, what happened? Hey guys, how did it go? Well, this happened and and this didn't work out so good. And and, and this wasn't great, but this was okay. And this worked out okay. And this person came to know you in in a more personal way and wants to follow you now. Okay, you did this wrong. You did this right. Let's regroup and let's do it again. That is discipleship. So is there failure in discipleship? Sure. Is it on us then to say, well, forget that. I'm just going to worship God at home and I don't have to worry about all those other people in the connection groups and the life groups and in the champion force church. I don't have to worry. I can just download a message and I can get all the God that I need. Is that what God demonstrated through Jesus's life on earth? Absolutely not. It was an intimate relationship of people communing with other people. Well, that's not my personality. That's not my style. Oh, it's mine. It's my personality style. I love to get in groups. Come on, let's make a group. What about the people that are saying, well, groups are not really my thing. Same is true for me. When I was young, I told you I was that shy kid who didn't like to be with other people. I I ate lunch by myself and I I was fine with that. Um, That was not a problem. But as, as God began, as God saved me and matured me in my faith, I would have never imagined the day that I would stand before a group of people talking about anything, much less God but that God can change us to make us who he wants to be. And sometimes what I say is you got to fake it till you make it. Sometimes you just got to say, yeah, I want to be a part of your group. Thinking this is crazy. These people are crazy. They're thinking the same thing about you. So is it crazy to have a bunch of crazy people together learning more about God? I submit to you that that is one of the best ways that we worship God. For example, if I come to you and I say, man, 
you are a sharp dresser today. You look nice with that blue tie. And, you know, every day, every Sunday, you come in here and you serve. You set up all this stuff and you don't want any accolades. I just think you're a great guy. How does he feel? Feels pretty good. Now, what if I came over to you and I said, you know what? There's a guy named Rick and he's a great guy. He serves. He does all these things. And I go through the list. I just can't get over how how great of a guy that is and how he ministers to me, how he ministers to Mark and to the people. It is a great thing. Then you, who knows Rick, goes over to Rick and says, you know what Brent Johnson was saying about you? He was saying that you're this great guy who does all these things. Does Rick feel better when I tell him or when someone else tells him what I said? I think so. I think we feel better. I think it's a higher form of praise. Because if I tell Rick, I may want something, right? I may be telling him a bunch of great things because later on I'm going to need something from him and I don't want him to be on my bad side. But what have I to gain, unless I'm very clever and want to try to get it back to him, what have I to gain to go to somebody else and just say, hey, this is what's going on. And for them, I think that when we tell other people about what God is doing in our lives, about who God is in history, as it has been revealed to us in every opportunity, I think that is one of the highest forms of praise. I submit it is easy to sing a song that somebody else wrote in church with the band playing. Everyone is singing, which is great worship. But how much better for me to go beyond telling God how great he is at church and on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday saying, hey man, I know I've talked to you three or four times about God, but we are here at lunch. Could I just share with you again? Does God love that obedience? To obey is better than to sacrifice. To God, I'm just going to go off on my own and I'll make it through. I'm just going to sacrifice. God wants us to obey. That's why he's revealing to us. So he has this scroll with six, sorry, seven seals. Now, Marcus said a couple of things about seals. That with the seals, they... They do three different things, at least, back in those days. One, the first thing is that they protect. When something has sealed, and when it's a wax seal, if you open it, you can't stick it back because what do you have to do? You have to heat it up. Well, then the seal doesn't look like it did at the beginning, so it makes it difficult to hide that. It protects that only the person that it's owed to can open it or unless they know it's been opened and compromised. So that's, there's, there's that. The second thing that a seal does is that it, it binds it to the creator. It shows who the creator is. And even in Ecclesiastes, or sorry, Song of Solomon, it has an idea of bonding one to another and being sealed together, which is exactly what Jesus has done for us. That when in Ephesians 1.13, it says that you have, once you have heard of the gospel and you have believed and received the salvation, you are sealed in the spirit. The spirit of God, just like this scroll, seals you in and binds you in a permanent relationship with your God, creator and savior and Lord. One other thing that the seal does, I mean, just handing John this this scroll with the seals saying, who's going to open it? would help him to hear and think about these things. The last thing is authority, authenticity, and integrity. That when you got the scroll or whatever that was sealed, the kings would sink their signet ring down inside of it so that it would have the 
same design as their ring. So if someone did try to melt it off and put it back together, you could tell that it was tampered with. And it could be a whole different message. You would have to throw the whole thing out because you could not trust it. I say to you today, God's word is the exact same thing. If you have to pick and choose what is true in God's word, you have to throw the whole thing out. You can't pick and choose because then who's going to be the authority? God says that the whole scripture has been breathed by God, used by men to write and to make that we can have confidence in its authority, its integrity, and its veracity, that it is the truth of God. Every time, I mean, there's a lot of things that people complain about the Bible. Well, there's these copying errors and well, there, it says this, but this doesn't exist. Almost every, well, I shouldn't say almost up to this point, not every prophecy has come true, but every prophecy that has come true has come true the exact way stated in God's word. These are not general prophecies either. Have you read the Old Testament? These are not general prophecies of, well, some guy died. It was very specific. And they would go back and they would say, wow, this lines up. And then later on, they would find a word like polytarch in Acts, I think it's Acts 17. And they would say, well, Luke, when he wrote Acts, he didn't really know what government was about. He had these weird words. We can trust it maybe in the theology, but not the, the, the government or, or the worldly timeline and nature. But then the archaeologists go and what do they do? They dig up something and they find a, a writing from something non-biblical and it's like got polytarchs in it. And they're like, they translate it, they figure it out. And it's a form of government that would have been in that same time and area where, where Luke was writing about. Every time they say, wow, okay, we missed it on this one. The Bible had it every time, every time. If they find something that doesn't line up and doesn't work out, I say again, I have to throw the whole book out. I got to throw the whole scroll out because I can see the misintegrity of the seals. So uh, that is the thing about being revealed. So we got that. Next thing is uh, to pay attention. And we can go back to the Elmo. I want to just uh, note a couple of things as he's writing here in the first part of the book, he talks about the seven churches. And Mark has talked a lot about the seven churches. Here they are. You can't see that. Trust me, it's there. In fact, Mark called and said that he wants his Elmo in England. So the team is going to take the Elmo. So if someone comes up in the middle of this class and grabs the Elmo, do not fret. They told me they were going to do it. They're going to take it away. That's fine. The seven churches, seven is a uh, a number of completeness, three complete in spiritual things, four complete in earthly things, seven add four, three and four together. You have seven, a total completeness. So these letters are written to not only the seven churches, but to all churches for all time. So here they are. And I want to show at the uh, end of each one, he says, let's see, we can see here. At the end, he says, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And then he talks about the one who conquers. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we go on to the church at Smyrna. Here it is. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who conquers. The church in Pergamum. He says the same thing. Uh, He who, can y'all see that? He who has an ear. 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. For the one who conquers. Each of these churches are getting the same note. Rick, I'm going to expect you to pick these up after everything is done. I I did say a lot of nice things about you earlier. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Sardis, he who has an ear, you get the point. That word conquer, uh, let's see, here it is. Now that I'm looking for it, I don't have it. Could you pick up one of these pieces, pieces of paper that I have it on? Verse 6? 26. 26. Oh, backwards? Thank you. Look at y'all. Now, this is a class that's working together. I like that. Okay. 20, uh, 26. Who conquers? All right. So that is the term nikao, which is Greek for conquer or overcomer. He says this to, in, in every one of the letters, to the one that overcomes, nikao. Do y'all recognize what huge company in the United States has capitalized on nikao? What is it? Oh, go to the PowerPoint so they can see. <laughs> That'll be helpful. Nike. That's what Nike came from, the Greek Nikao, which is to overcome. What a great slogan, right? Hidden, embedded in their logo. And they have not just the logo, but the whole just do it thing. And so as, as Christians, he who has an ear, let him hear. We need to pay attention. And the last thing is we need to act like it. We need to act like we're paying attention and live our lives greatly different than the way that we would have and that the way the world does. But, but shouldn't I just add God to my life and work it in? No. God changes your life and makes you a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So we move on to Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation 4... It paints one of the most beautiful pictures of worship. And let me just say a couple of things as a, as a media guy, as an AV guy, that is just interesting to me. I, I'm not in AV stuff because I like the technology. I like the way that it helps to reinforce what we're doing right here, learning about the Word of God. But in the throne room, it talks about the flashes of lightning, and the peals of thunder. This is not a solemn ceremony that's going on in heaven, right? They have a whole sound and light show that's, that's bright and loud and visually engaging. It's, it's incredible. But I think more incredible than that, let's go back to the Elmo that we see here about the four living creatures. We have the four living creatures, each one of them with six wings, with eyes all around within. Day and, it says day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Now, going on in verse 9, it says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. By the way, when do the creatures give glory and honor to him who's on the throne? Day and night. They do not cease to say. So when they keep saying what they're saying, 
the 24 elders seated on the throne who worship him and lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, okay, pause just for a second. This is just an aside, but I'm studying Revelation. Now, here I am, new to the biblical literacy class, although I've been doing your tech for, for, for years. New to this role, and then Mark's like, and, and please teach me when I'm gone, and I'm going to be leaving, and you're going to be teaching Revelation. Oh, thanks. Throw me Revelation for my first time out, everyone. Thank you. Allow, extend a little grace to me, please. I'm going to have you teach Revelation. Okay, well, maybe it's going to be Revelation 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5. Very comfortable there. No, it's going to actually start in 6 and 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That'll be great. Okay, thank you. Here I am studying Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And I have two gold crowns on my teeth. While I'm studying, one of them pops off. Now, that is not a God thing, okay? Some of you are going, that is a God thing. Wow, that is so great. I, I do not attribute it to a God thing. But I will make it spiritual because here I'm reading about the, the 24 elders casting their crowns and glorifying God. <laughs> and off comes by no desire of my own. Believe me, I did not like that at all. But isn't it true that when we have to cast our crowns off to set aside that which we love and makes us feel great, whether it's your job or your family or whatever it is you do, you usually do not like to do that. But when you come in contact with your God and creator, the best thing that you can do, the best way to worship him, second is telling others about him. The greatest way is to cast everything down that is you and lay out prostrate before God and say, God, You are awesome, and I am nothing. That is a great way to worship. And Revelation 4 paints for us a beautiful picture of God's people worshiping him. So the four living creatures, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Then the 24 elders, they're saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Paul writes this in Colossians 1:16. He says he's telling the church in Colossae that you were created by God and for God. So if you're ever trying to figure out why you exist, Why am I here, God? What am I doing here? At the very base level of your mission statement, you exist because God created you. He was created, he created you for him. So the question is, what have you done for God lately? Mark would have the song playing right here. What have you done for me lately, right? So just for a second, could we just take a minute and... And see what this worship service would have sounded like. Could, could we? I want to do a little directing. And as I point to you, as I point, assume that I'm pointing to the small five or six, seven, eight people around you. And we're going to begin in a random form saying this very top part right here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. I don't want us to chant it in unison. I want it to be random, okay? So we have four living creatures. They're saying this. 
Let's see, and then we'll, we'll add this to the end maybe. Let's see how it goes first. As I point to you, just start saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. First group's going to be the hardest because you're like, are you sure? Right here on the front row. You're not going to stop. Just keep going. Now say it like you mean it. Interesting, isn't it? Throne room worship. You know, the the Greek word here is lego. And it means to speak or to say. Can y'all see that? It means to speak or to say that that they're saying this. Now, later on in the chapter, it says they sang a new song. And the song said, lego, which it could mean that they were singing all of these songs. It could mean that they were singing a new song. But before that, they were not even singing that. I'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be more speaking in heaven than there is singing. Would that bother you? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? But there's definitely music in heaven. There's harps and lyres. There's all kinds of instruments. And the worship there is going to be beautiful. The 24 elders join in and they're casting down. So it's, it's, an, it's an amazing picture of them casting down their crowns. Then the four living creatures start saying, holy, holy, again. So I guess they're picking them up and putting them back down over and over as they're showing their homage to the Lord. Have you ever thought about the worship in Revelation 4? It is a great piece to study through. If you're a Christian and you love to worship God, read Revelation 4 and 5 and, and, and dwell in that and think about what it is to truly, well, to worship God, not truly worship God, but to worship him in uh, many, many ways. So that's throne room worship. Now we're going to move on to, uh, well, we're not there yet. Oh, y'all. So we want to look at the seven seals now in the time that we have left in the time remaining. And uh, I'm not going to be able to go through all of the seals, uh, all seven of the seals, but it's interesting to note some things. One, that the seals are separated into two categories. There's four horsemen, and there are then three seals after that. So that's four and three, and that adds to complete. You're going to notice the same type of, uh, of groupings as we look at the seven bowls of wrath, the seven trumpets, showing a completeness. Now, there's a lot of different ways scholarly men far beyond myself have studied this, and they have a lot of different ideas of how to understand the book of Revelation, particularly as we move through these sets of seven. One of the ways, and we have to have some kind of a core, some kind of an understanding or a method to to look through these, Based on Mark's, uh, not mine opinion, based on Mark's study, we're going to look at each of them as a repeating 
homage to the history of God. Each one talking about each of the seven seals, each of the seven bowls of wrath, the seven trumpets, each one of those cycles going from the uh, death of Christ all the way through to the second coming. So it's a repeat of the history that we're actually already in. Each one ending and showing more prominence to the end. To the end, which is what we're trying to understand. And so those are some things that we're going to, that we'll bring out, that Mark will bring out even more uh, once he returns. Um, so on these seven seals, I wanted to just look at a couple of them. We're, we're going to read through these. First, the first four are the horsemen of the apocalypse. You've probably heard that before. And back for us today, as Mark says, horses are a novelty. It's not, you know, real important that everyone have a horse. Back in those days, you need to imagine what it would have meant for them. It's what we call authorial intent. Anytime that you're reading or trying to understand something, if you can understand what the author was trying to say, then you have made it. You, even if they're talking crazy, just to understand what they're saying, you need to get back to what the author was saying. In our worship center, over here in the big worship center, for the past three days, we've been retuning the sound system. When I say we, I mean they. And we, they, called the guy that designed the sound system. He came to Champion Forest and with his computer, because there's a lot of mathematics in all of this, stuff that you and I don't understand. We're like, why can't the sound guy just get it right, right? There's a lot more to it than most people think. Laws of physics, you know, that's big. So we got the guy who designed the system, who put all the programs, wrote the programs. We called him in. <coughs> Excuse me. And he tweaked the system. Now, I can't think of a better way to get back to the author or authorial intent, the way the author designed the system to run. Right now, the sound system is running as close to the way that it was designed to be run than it ever has been because the guy who wrote the stuff is here explaining and doing the work, right? So when we read the Bible, we need to understand the context. Does that ring a bell? We're in the context Bible reading plan. My family and I, we, we read through the context Bible every night. I have Two daughters, you saw, they're almost 12. My wife, we sit and we read the core and then we read the supporting material. We've read through the Bible before and Mahali and I separately, but this has been an eye-opening experience. Any of you who are reading it as well, to understand God's word based on these cross-references that I know they're there, but I would have never been able to find them. Praise God for a mind like Mark Lanier to be able to synthesize and put this together to enable us to be able to have a far better understanding of what we, than we would have. Again, my question is, what are you doing with that information? So the context Bible, we need to understand the Bible in its context and especially the book of Revelation. The aha moment for me was when I understood from Mark Lanier that you have to understand the symbolism and all of the things that are in it based on the Old Testament. And as a Bible student who's been through seminary with a master's degree, I have never put that together. It's a little embarrassing, but it also means that we're all what? We're all students, we're all learning, we're all growing, but we need to make an effort to continue to do that. And so understanding the context 
is understanding the Old Testament, which a lot of times new covenant Christians that we are today, we're like, well, there's a lot of fun stories in there, but let's get to the meat. That's going to enable us to understand Revelation. Mark's going to bring that out a lot more. So here uh, in the first seal, it says that, um, thank you, one of the creatures... Uh, one of the four living creatures had a voice like thunder. He said, come. Does that remind you of Revelation chapter four? What was in the throne room worship? Thunder. Could it be the speaking of these creatures and others that caused the thunder that I don't think a low pressure system rode into heaven? That lightning and thunder started because of the laws that we understand of physics. Everything that was happening there was, was created by him and for him. And as the great, team there was worshiping him. We're going to see more about the worshipers. It was like thunder. We didn't quite make it. We did our test. We weren't quite thundering yet, which is okay. We're not in heaven yet. We're still not arrived. There's still time. Now, um, the voice was like thunder. It said, come. And I looked and behold, there was a white horse and his rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer, conquering and to conquer. This is a, some believe that this is a representation of Christ. This is symbolic of Christ because remember, we're going from Christ as the conqueror, dying on the cross for our sins, conquering death and hell, and to conquer. What does that mean? He is not finished yet. And so as we go through, we look at each of these scrolls, we begin to see more about uh, persecution, about trials and tribulations, right? Everyone knows that everyone's like, oh, I hope we can avoid the, the tribulation. You know, that's the big talk among Christians who haven't studied and understand it very well, myself included. I just hope that God takes us before the tribulation. What's that called? Pre-trib? Yeah, pre-tribulation. Let's all vote for pre-tribulation. I do not want to be in the mess. What if this scroll is just a recounting what you're already in? which is what? Tribulation. John said, the same John who wrote this in the gospel of John said, in this world, you will have troubles. He was quoting Jesus. In this world, you will have troubles. You will have trials and tribulation. Can anyone attest? Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. Yes, we're, we very well could be within this set of cyclical movements and the book of Revelation is allowing us to understand and like Mark said, gives us the greatest encouragement that we can have because in the end, David Fleming said it today, Jesus wins. And if Jesus wins, if he's a conqueror, I'm a conqueror. So that's Jesus there. Uh, The second seal Uh, The second creature said, come. Uh, The bright red horse uh, was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Anytime the work of God happens, what follows that usually is what? Persecution and tribulation. 
We see it all through the Gospels, and you could probably take a look at your own life, and you can see it in your own life. When God is really doing something in your life, and you're like, okay, God, I am on track now. You are, you are doing a great miracle in my life. I have got these people, and we're talking, and they're not all on the same page, but you're giving me these great opportunities, and you've healed me of this disease that perhaps you've been praying about and dealing with. And sometimes God's answer is wait and no. That doesn't mean you're not winning. I don't want to give that appearance that when you pray and God answers a prayer, you want the way you want it. That doesn't mean that that's when you win and things are going well. We understand through the, the lens of revelation that God already wins no matter what happens here and now. No matter how much tribulation and how much peace is taken from the earth, I'm all right, right? But I need to look at it from the right perspective. I need to study God's word even deeper. And then I'm all excited. God, you're, you're doing something in my life and I'm, I'm so excited about it. That's when we can go on and do more. Uh, and we need to encourage one another to do that as well. That's the whole thing about that small group that Jesus had. Did I tell you that Jesus had a connection group, that he was involved in a connection group? I mentioned that, didn't I? Jesus was in his connection group when the disciples were out trying to feed the 5,000 and like, oh my goodness, Lord, we can't. Jesus says, I'm going to take care of it. Come back together and talk about it. And then Jesus spiritualizes it, you know, makes it a lot more spiritual. How many times do you ride drive to, to work or drive to school or, or go to your, I don't know, the parents' house, grandparents' house for holidays, whatever. You're driving in the car and you're just sitting there. And you, if you, if, if, if you, excuse me, if you take the opportunity to look for the things of God, to be an active pursuer of God, all of a sudden that billboard that you pass has a spiritual meaning. That guy that uh, cut you off and honked his horn and waved at you, There's a spiritual meaning. And when you think about it from God's perspective and not your own, because you're going to start with your own. That's our fallen will. That's that's who we are. And we're all in that same boat. So don't think, I wish I was holier than thou too, but I'm not. Hey, we all start there. But God says, hey, as you mature in your faith, you should know more about me and look the world in a better perspective. So when those things do happen, then you're able to say, you know what, God? You just taught me a lesson because at home when I was talking to my wife, I didn't cut her off with a car, but I cut her off with my language and my personality and the way that I came across, and that was wrong. What do I need to do? Just what he told the church in Laodicea, be zealous and repent. Go home to my wife and say, you know what? God taught me something driving to work today because I was paying attention. I'm trying to boost myself up a little bit before I have to get on my knees to say, you know what, I'm sorry for the way that I treated you earlier today. Um, It was not right, and I need to make that right. So that's just an example of the way that God wants to teach us amongst this cyclical environment of what we're going through right now. So open the third seal. And here he said, come, the thunder rolls again. I looked, and behold, a black horse rider with a pair of scales in his hand and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius three quarts this is like high inflation because a denarius was one day's wage and to get a quart of wheat for a day's wage would have been unbearable so the black horse is talking about uh, difficult times inflation anyone can uh, understand what I'm talking about um, a barley for a denarius uh, and do no harm to the oil and the wine. We're going to talk more about that later. 
the fourth seal, heard a great voice. The living creatures say, come, thunder. Uh, I came and behold here a pale horse. Its rider was death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth. The first time, is it noon? <laughs> yeah, well, we got to get out of here. So, um, points for home. <laughs> <laughs> Key takeaways, whether I've taught on it or not. First thing we definitely covered, worship with your life. Be a conqueror, act like a conqueror. The second thing is something we really didn't get to, and I'll pick up on it next, next week, but don't use the name of God in vain. I'm not talking about saying a cuss word. We're going to go deeper on that. And the last thing at the uh, end of chapter 7 is uh, the lamb is actually the shepherd. That the lamb who's worthy to open the seals and open all the seals, a little vision between seal 6 and 7, we see the lamb and he is the shepherd. So it's a new take on shepherding that normally we shepherd the sheep. And what the shepherd does with that crook, he nods and pulls to protect and to help the sheep. Allow the lamb to shepherd you. The Lord is my shepherd. The lamb is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for your word and for what you teach us. We thank you that there's more to it than we can even cover in our life. But Father, help us as we are students to be biblically literate of you, what your purposes are, and that we can get on board. Father, I pray that you would take us now in safety and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.